Welcome to the Nevin Economic Research Institute's latest uh, discussion episode podcast video series. My name is Kieran Nugent. I'm an economist in, in Neary. And I'm going to talk to Neary co-director Tom McDonnell um, about uh, principles for um, the economy in the 2020s. So we're, we're in unprecedented times with COVID now. And at the, at the beginning, in the first few months with the intervention in the state, there was this talk of a new social contract and a new paradigm shift and seizing the opportunity perhaps to uh, restructure or, or re, reposition the Irish economy. Now, that, that kind of talk is kind of uh, subsided a little bit, or I would say it has anyway. So what do you think are the, uh, well, first of all, can you take us through the three principles in broad terms? Well, I suppose the first thing I wanted to do was to kind of step back and take a look at what it is we're actually trying to achieve. And sometimes in economics, we talk about economic growth, uh, although few people really know what that means. What I wanted to do was to, to talk about a specific type of growth, um, and that was a growth that was inclusive, which means um, everyone benefited from it. But it was also but also growth that was sustainable. So not growth based upon a housing boom or a tech boom or or something like that, or on unsustainable fiscal grounds based on massive tax cuts or something like that. So I want to step back and say, well, what we're trying to achieve here is is consistent improvements in the quality of life and well-being of the population. Ultimately, at a global level, but in terms of Irish policy, very much at an Irish level, and say that that is what we're trying to achieve, um, and to look at what what are what are the principles that would kind of lead us in that direction. And what's interesting about this year is that we did see um, maybe the uh, the mask slip on this kind of. Um, this narrative or perhaps illusion that there was this difference between the public sector and the private sector, that the private sector was just this um, perpetual engine that would always generate equilibrium, that was surviving on its own, that didn't need government to survive. And what we've discovered that, in fact, uh, the private sector exists and thrives at the discretion of the public sector uh, and, and that they need the public sector ultimately and, and by public sector I, I, I mean the, the broader society and uh, the political system and institutions that we have to, to thrive and we've seen that we've willingly as societies both in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland uh, agreed to shut down whole, whole segments of our economy uh, with very, very little fuss, with, with no social unrest so far. And um, what we've done instead is we've put in place the structures that it will enable the private sector to get past this stage, this support stage, uh, out, out onto the, to the other side. Without massive state, state intervention, we would be looking at a Great Depression type scenario and vast ways that the private sector would have simply collapsed. So this illusion uh, that uh, the private sector can survive on its own has been, I think, for this generation at least, roundly shown to be untrue. And 
what we have now is we have a realization that uh, the state and, and central banks are ultimately the, the, the lenders of last resort, but they're the income provider of last support and they're the protector of last support of last resort for the private sector. And then taking us back to our back to our principles in terms of economic growth, economic growth is really about the productive capacity of the economy. Like what is the amount of goods and services that you can produce in a given time? So just just on, on that, just to cut in on it, because I know the term productivity for many on the left means one thing and economists kind of uh, don't necessarily it did two things don't necessarily match up because so can you tell us what you mean by productive capacity yeah the productive capacity economy refers to uh, the ability of the economy uh, and the wider society around it to produce goods and services per a given amount of effort or to put it a, a different way it's the, it's our ability to turn inputs into outputs so obviously the quality of those inputs matters. So the human capital, the education, the knowledge, the creativity, the insight, the confidence that people have, combined with the the, the, the physical artifacts that they use, the machinery and equipment, the, the land, the factories, the infrastructure, um, and how the relationships between all of those individual people, the machines that they use and so on, interact to produce outputs. So we are converting inputs, land, people, machinery and equipment into particular outputs. And I, I suppose um, what's interesting about uh, productivity is that by generating productivity improvements year on year, it allows us to sustainably, at least in theory, to, to sustainably increase uh, our output year on year in a way that we can't by simply using more people or working longer hours or using more land or more machinery and equipment that type of, that type of growth is unsustainable for environmental reasons obviously for population demographic reasons and for a variety of other reasons it's only by increasing our ratio of outputs to inputs year on year that we can actually generate these well-being improvements sustainably over time and and then the question is, well, how do you do that? And you do that by improving the quality of your inputs and by changing the interactions between those inputs. So that means focusing on things like the problem-solving capacity, or the creativity, the opportunities given to individuals to do that. So education, particularly early childhood care and education, ensuring that people have opportunities, uh, for example, there's a lot of evidence that probably the best bang for your buck that you can get in terms of long-run economic growth is ensuring that people from deprived uh, backgrounds are not prevented from thriving. So in many respects, avoiding poverty, for example, is probably the best route uh, to economic growth long term. So education is, is one example. Obviously, we talk about innovation. It's about producing new goods and services. And sometimes those new goods and services are themselves capable of uh, producing a faster rate of, of innovation. Think of the internet, for example, the microprocessor, reading and writing before that. And then to talk about, to think about other innovations that make the world smaller, such as the various transportation um, innovations, innovations over time. So um, 
The first principle is that we need to increase our productive capacity. We do that by uh, investing in education, investing in infrastructure, in, investing in research and development, and particular, particularly certain types of, of infrastructure, such as broadband infrastructure, are very important for, for certain regions to be able to Interesting track. in the news at the moment, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then the other two areas to look at are, OK, it's all very well to, to increase the size of the economy, but who cares if it all goes to one or two billionaires in Silicon Valley? Nobody cares except for those one or two people. In fact, as a thing in itself, that might be a bad thing because it increases their political power over the rest of us. So It also slows down growth, you, you mentioned in your paper as well. Isn't that right? That it, it does, yeah. Higher levels of inequality are generally bad for growth. They, they lead to more... Uh, volatile economies, they lead to people taking on too much debt because they have, they have to get into debt just to, just to keep up. Uh, it also leads to inferior outcomes across a whole range of uh, quality of life indicators such as life expectancy, uh, levels of crime, levels of education, happiness and so on. By and large, nobody benefits in the long term from higher levels of inequality, including including the very rich, because they, 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 li they live a more paranoid existence, They're, they feel less secure and so on. Um, and, and it's simply just a, a less happy society that they're, that they're living in, and probably one with inferior infrastructure as well. So, but inequality and equality are things that we care about as things in, in, in themselves, on social justice grounds, but, but also because they tend to be better for the economy. It's absolutely essential that, that, that everyone, t in order that they be able to fulfill their, their promise uh, uh, in terms of their ability to contribute to the economy, are uh, given sufficient opportunity and attain a sufficient level of outcome. It's not just about this this old canard, this old canard about oh everyone has the same opportunity. It's it's a real meritocracy where where in reality you have situations where uh, people have networks arising from private schools, for example, or people have different opportunities, or people are are inheriting different amounts. One of the really important things in getting to a greater level of equality in society is ensuring that we tax wealth, for example. People always think about taxing income and, and income tax, and, and, that's, and that's important. But ultimately, it's wealth inequalities that become self-perpetuating over time, and that means having strong wealth taxes, inheritance taxes, and so forth. And then the third area alongside economic growth and along, alongside inclusivity and equality is sustainability. It's... It, 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 we don't want growth if it's unsustainable because it because it creates booms and busts. Uh, it becomes counterproductive and self-defeating in the long run. Climate change is, is the most obvious one. The current economic model that we have is simply unsustainable uh, and therefore it is not a model that we can maintain long term. It's an impossibility. Um, but there are other examples. The housing boom in Ireland prior to 2008 is another classic example. Very fast, high levels of growth just beforehand. But in, in the long run, it was based upon people taking on too much, too much debt, uh, a lack of regulation. It wasn't sustainable and it led to, it led to a massive bust. And then we have years of people's, uh, people's opportunities being, being denied, uh, reductions in the, the quality of human capital. People become depressed, lose confidence and so on. And, then, and you've got years of all, that, those, of all that machinery and equipment simply not being used, all, all that infrastructure not being used to its full potential. And um, those, therefore, are, are the three principles, the three guiding principles. And it's, and it's a case of identifying what are the policies that are consistent with that and where should we go from here? So, the, so this implies 
all three of the principals, as far as I can see, employ um, a bigger role for the state. I mean, if if we're talking about productive capacity, we're talking about uh, increasing. Um, you, you point out that we, we spend less per capita on research and development, uh, on higher education, on education in, in childcare, both of which uh, are, will underpin not only productive capacity, but also equal outcomes. Um, you know, you we and and yourself especially point out um regularly about our um participation rates for for women in the labour force, and that's to do with childcare, or at least it's 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 highly impacted by that. And sustainability as well, we we've seen, and myself and our colleague Paul Goldrick Kelly wrote a couple of papers there on just transition and. Um, investing in that and it's clear that the private sector aren't going to be able to do that and it's uh, about socializing the um, the risk around research and development to um, I suppose to, to, to support private sector in doing it but we, we were arguing actually that the, the, the public sector should should take a, a larger role in that and, and why not so this this means you know uh, kind of a change in the, I suppose, the guiding ideology or philosophy of, of successive Irish governments over the last number of decades. And as I, as I opened with there, there, there seemed to be some kind of hope with that, with the recognition after the government had to intervene with the pandemic and oh, all of a sudden, Oh, they can intervene when they want to intervene. They've been telling us for for a long time that they can't, and it's they immediately could. So with that kind of win, in a way, there was hope, at least from my from my end, that this might be a sea change. But within a within a couple of weeks, it was back to talk about austerity and paying for this and. And you know, low wage employees need incentives to go back to jobs that don't exist, and etc. etc. Um, so, in terms of, um, you know, well, the Greens are in, um, and at least from the sustainability point of view, that theoretically is, is gonna help that. What do you think the, the, um, you know what? What do the tea leaves tell you about um, the coming years in terms of actually taking this opportunity? Because this this unemployment is going to continue uh, at least for the next six months, at least, um, and high levels of it. Um, so yeah, it has it ha- has the commentaries forgotten what they were talking about three four months ago or? Is there is there hope that these things will be uh, appropriately addressed? Well, I I think the the gravity of the situation back in March was such that to not introduce a wage subsidy scheme um, would have been an enormous and obvious failure. And once the Irish government had seen other European countries do it uh, to bring in furlough systems and so forth, uh, the momentum was such that they probably felt they they had they had no choice. Now it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, it, it, it did, it did hold, it did help to glue employees and employer together. That maintains the potential for productive capacity 
to be preserved as we go into 2021 and 2022 and those wage subsidy schemes in some evolved form and eventually some kind of short-time working as some short-time working scheme will need to be maintained well into 2021 and and that is the plan, at least in the Republic, till about March. In Northern Ireland, unfortunately, uh, their, their furlough seat scheme runs out in October. So they could be looking at a, a very, very uh, deep recession uh, starting in the fourth quarter of this year. And uh, we, we found as well that once more and, and perhaps different cohorts of people were becoming unemployed around March, that... Uh, the existing social protection system was found not to be sufficient um, and I suppose you can really see the political economy of that as a larger group of people are affected and perhaps people with different um, socioeconomic characteristics, shall we say, are, are, are affected. Suddenly, previous um, welfare payments are, are not sufficient. Now, again, it was the correct choice uh, to, to do what they did because uh, it, would, it would have been an enormous failure to allow... Um, a collapse in, in household income that would have otherwise occurred. Now, the pandemic unemployment payment will be wound down over, over the next six, six months or so, and it will be interesting to see wh where it finally lies. And it will also be interesting to see if there is a greater appreciation and um, empathy uh, for people that have lost their jobs. Now that people, people realise that anyone could lose their jobs and for... for um, uh, capricious reasons. In this case, it was a pandemic. For, for, for in other areas, such as the Midlands, it's because of the just transition that's required uh, in relation to climate change. In the past, it's been related to globalization. Sometimes, as people or people are just un unlucky in terms of the firm that they were working for, or perhaps they became ill. Um, but 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 in the past, we, we we've had a kind of a, a nastier narrative about the undeserving poor versus the deserving poor. Um, and it will be interesting to see how, to, how that d d debate evolves over the next few years. My suspicion is that one outcome that we will get from this is that we will get a degree of reform in terms of our social insurance system. And that may lead to um, uh, a more robust uh, social, social welfare or our social insurance system arising from that. I mean, we know... Um, Ireland and indeed Northern Ireland are uh, two of the places, Northern Ireland being part of the UK, uh, that have very low levels of public spending and very low levels of revenue raising relative to other Western European countries. Uh, and the NRI have done a number of papers which have, uh, have, show, have, have shown this to be the case. Uh, in both parties, education spending is very low. Again, this is an enormous policy failure uh, because it means that uh, our productive capacity arising from human capital uh, will be much lower than it will be in other European countries. Uh, again, again, both countries spend very little on, on research and development. And, and, and perhaps most egregiously of all, uh, childcare. Uh, childcare spending is way below what it needs to be. Ourselves, Republic of Ireland, the UK and the United States are the three big failures here. And this, and the main impact here is to essentially exclude a lot of second earners and lone parents from the labour market, which is a huge gender implication, uh, but also effectively excludes those households uh, from um, actualising their their potential and it makes it very very difficult for for certain groups to have children at all uh, yeah. which is effectively taking away those opportunities um uh, from them so these are huge policy failures but the one good thing is that because we have that scope for improvement 
the the potent the outlook for potential growth and, and for potential well-being improvements um or at least there is there, there there is a possibility that it could happen because we can reform education policy we can reform childcare policy we can reform um uh, how we deal with research and development we can also re- reform healthcare policy and industrial policy and we have so far to go in terms of um uh uh the carbon issue and how poorly how poorly we we performed there, and there are opportunities for areas lo- like the Midlands in terms of uh, becoming hubs for renewable energy infrastructure, for example. So, I'm actually optimistic um, that there is the possibility of sustainable, inclusive growth in Ireland for decades to come. I am not confident that the political economy economy realities will allow those policies to actually. Okay. Happen. Yeah, that's what I was going to get onto you about as well. So we, we've within the, the 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 broader understanding of the term sustainability, we've also got economic sustainability. So Ireland, when we're growing, we're growing the fastest. When we're crashing, we're crashing the hardest. And the the kind of you, you know the 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 for want of a better for want of a better term, the writing's on the wall with our corporation tax model right or at least it doesn't look like especially with the uk bound out of of the eu who would have been an ally in protecting you know sovereign sovereign rights to, to taxation you know the application was 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 very uh widely reported on um our european partners neighbors other members they at least perceive this um this model to be mean spirited and and cheating in a way you know so and and the in relation to that with you know this this focus on uh tourism and accommodation and food which we've seen again is you know extremely vulnerable that's where a lot of the hit the employment hit that we've seen now um extremely vulnerable to forces outside the control of any Irish policymaker. Uh, we, we're reliant on America doing well, or we're reliant on the UK doing well, and good luck with that over the next few years. So, and, uh, in addition to that, those those jobs are the worst jobs of any sector in Ireland by a country yeah, mile. Yeah. The, the, the most amount of minimum wage, most amount of temporary employment, most amount of part-time employment, seasonal work, etc. So, that is not... Tourism is not part of, of a of a like you know a, a, an ideological move towards uh, a higher tax, high productivity model like they have in in Northern Europe, and they, neither is our corporation tax. So, in terms of sustainability, the the the, the moves to, towards that kind of model are are, are going to make or what, theoretically would make like international crises uh you know more uh make us um put us in a better position to weather those storms and so is that is that right why the accommodation and food talk all the time and uh, if that's if that's the focus are we really going that way 
I think sometimes it's a it's a failure of imagination. So uh, a firm goes bust in a regional town, or um, a region lo- loses a big employer, or an area is perceived to be falling behind. The question is, well, well, what are our, our regional strengths? And and look, if you're on the wild Atlantic Way or you're an, an Atlantic county, to say, look, our strength is our our beautiful scenery. So tourism is what we should do, but. Tourism is not what we should be focusing our our industrial policy on. On as you said, those are very poorly paid jobs, of often seasonal work. Um, so that is that is not the long term solution. I mean, I mean, those jobs those jobs will always be there. Um, but the answer long term has to be about higher value added jobs, and higher value added jobs that can be done outside of metropolitan hubs let's say now what we've seen over the last six months is the revolution of working from home for certain types of jobs mainly professional type jobs public sector jobs and so forth and if we can if we can solve the broadband problem which we have not solved uh, then it opens up um, uh, opportunities to work outside of Dublin and the regional cities um, and 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 that is something that we should we should really endeavour to push, make it as easy as possible to work to, to work from home, provide provide the broadband, provide provide the resources, um, also um, uh, a, a more equitable division of public sector public sector workers around the country could, if uh, if done properly provides sufficient uh, mass within regional towns, for example, to, to start to begin uh, to, to get to a critical mass that would allow places uh, to thrive. Again, focusing on regional universities and regional ITs as innovation hubs uh, around which we can build is another strategy. Oh, and, and of course, connecting up all of these places through uh, heavily subsidised public transport that actually genuinely links all of these places together rather than just linking the towns as commuter towns to the four or five large urban areas that we actually have. Um, but yeah, moving away from the tourism model. The tourism model is a trap. It traps people in low-paid jobs, uh, insecure work, um, uh, not just long term, but even on a month to month basis. So that's not the answer. Also, also um, as you said um, a few minutes ago, we may win battles such as the initial ruling on Apple in relation to the corporation tax regime that we have chosen to pursue. But we we cannot win the war there, and even if even if even if we can, uh, if Ireland can can stop itself from losing the war. It's clear that the opportunities for future gains are likely to be quite limited, um, and indeed we should already be treating our, our our excessive corporation tax receipts as something that we should be banking year on year rather than something we should be relying upon. Um, so we need. Well, that's another thing, isn't it? Just that we have no idea. Like, there's a bit of a mystery. It's similar to two thousand and eight and our reliance on um on receipts from the construction activity and we, yeah there's a there's a mystery as to where this corporation tax is even coming from which is another argument for um you know broadening the tax base bringing in, in the areas just we, we're getting towards the half an hour mark tom so sure. obviously the question that everybody will ask is so how do we pay for it now you mentioned a couple of things there but um yeah. 
Well, how do you pay for it? We're going to have a deficit this year of about 30 billion. We're going to have a deficit next year of about half that. And then it's going to half again. And by the time you get to the middle of the decade, it'll be down to about 1% or 2% of, of GDP, which is fine. That's sustainable. Be- the goal here is if we can get employment rates up, if we can get the unemployment rate down, uh, close, close to full employment, the public finances will take care of themselves. But even even with that being true, we would still have those gaps in childcare spending, education spending, uh, public transport, primary health care, and so on and so forth. And and it's important there, therefore, to look at well, where are the areas where we can glean additional additional revenue? Now, some of that is going to have to be uh, consumption taxes associated with pollution, because we're going to have to we're going to have to meet our um, environmental goals. Uh, now. I'm not necessarily proposing that you increase consumption taxes overall. You you could have offsetting reductions in, in, in other types of consumption taxes, such as VAT, for example. So it turns out that the area where the Republic of Ireland and, and indeed the UK are very, very different f- from the rest of Western Europe is employer PSI. And almost all of the revenue gap in uh, the Republic of Ireland is associated with uh, employer PSI. So what we are proposing is that over the medium term not not in the next two years not not at the height of an economic crisis but as we get to the recovery phase and beyond that we gradually increase employer PSI and much of our social protection increasing amounts of our social protection benefit that would therefore be covered by by employer PSI opening up other headings of, of under general taxation to increasingly allow us to invest more and more in areas like education, where of course we have the highest class class sizes in Europe, for example, not not exactly conducive to dealing to dealing with social distancing in the schools, um, and and we could go on and on. So that that is that is the main area. There's other areas where we should do it, even though it won't generate a lot of revenue. So things like wealth taxes, inheritance taxes, and so on, could generate a, up to one percent of GDP, and again, property tax. Would be another area there, particularly on non-principal private residences. There could be significant increases there. We should do that anyway for equity reasons, and that will, you know, generate a a decent haul of silver. But really, in terms of the the, the major reform, it's going to have to be on the on the side of PRSI, and it's totally doable. Absolutely, and I mean, there there's just a. It's not just um, water charges, but that's the one that springs to mind. Is that they, there's always, you know, in the commentary in a in a in an Irish um, in an Irish context, we'll we'll point out European norms when it comes to, you know, when 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 it's the burden is on people like you know people in in lower income brackets or everyone, you know, but not when it comes to. You know they they charge more to business basically and more more in corporation tax and we 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 avoid that generally generally in in the in the debate in Ireland I think and actually kind of one one final point it's often brought up that people on low incomes pay very low levels of tax uh, of of income tax in Ireland and that's true but it's also it's also the fact that we have a very very high level of inequality before we take into account. Uh, tax taxes taxation and benefits so our our tax system has to work extremely hard just to bring us up into the middle of the table in terms of levels of income inequality um and if we didn't have 
the type of taxation structure that we have, we would be one of the more unequal countries in Europe. So unless we can change uh, the profile of um, uh, market income and the distribution of, of market income, uh, so which is associated with things like Ireland having very low labour shares and, and, of course, the uh, our very um, uh, hostile uh, environment that we create for trade unions and collective bargaining, for example, that leads to low labour shares, we are not going to be able to uh, deal with the um, the low levels of, of income tax on, on low paid earners without making us a very un- unequal society. And that's touched on too in your paper. We didn't get to it though, but obviously collective bargaining, trade union density, etc. comes into the equality part and actually, you know, underpins growth. Um, we also didn't get to a living wage, but obviously that's that's one of the parts of this um, is to to work towards that. There were there there was a few mentions of that initially. I haven't heard the the word living wage come from uh, in a while. It's probably yeah, it's it's it's, it's an awkward time to bring that up. Obviously, with, with SME struggling and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But in the medium term, that that should be something we're 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 going for. Um, Especially with the with the housing crisis continuing as it is, and childcare dysfunctional as it is as well. Absolutely, and, and, and I suppose a, a very final point is you mentioned housing there, but it's been clear over the last half century that the current model for housing has just failed. Um, it, 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 we're continuous boom and bust, unaffordable housing, particularly in Dublin. And Fourteen hundred euro a month co-living developments. That's the most recent one. Thirty thirty hours a week at the minimum wage would cost just to cover that rent. Uh, so it's clear that the current model hasn't succeeded, and it's also clear that there are places in Europe and around the world where their models have succeeded, uh, such as the, the cost rental model that they have in Vienna and places like that. So again, it points to a, a much different role for the state, a much more uh, dynamic role for the state. That doesn't mean that there's no role for the private sector there, uh, but it does mean that we're going to have to really rethink the fundamentals of how we deal with economic policy and to deal with the political economy uh, interest groups that are that are really preventing change. Yeah, okay, well that's a, probably a discussion for another day anyway. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, anybody at home have a read. Uh, it's, it's on the Neary website. Follow us on Twitter. Um and yeah, it's in essay form, so it's more, uh, it, it it's more digestible than some of the other working papers that we produce. So uh, have a look anyway. All right, Tom, thanks a million for that. Thanks for having uh, me, Karen. All right, sure. We'll see you soon. All right.